on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Startups are challenging. Like there's the highs and lows are far more extreme than a traditional job. So it really helps to have a larger mission. Like don't fall in love with your solution. Just really fall in love with the problem. And that will generally keep you going through the highs and lows to like eventual like success. It takes a long time, mm. longer than people think. What is giving you the confidence that this one is going to be successful one? I think I am significantly better at evaluating markets now. And we tested the demand. We know there's a lot of demand there. Um, so I feel good about it. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I interview purpose-driven founders and leaders to educate, inspire, and empower your success in leaving an impact on the world. The goal here is for the rest of us to ask the world's biggest questions, build startups to solve them, and live fulfilling lives in the process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Today's guest has been ferociously building and growing internet companies for the past decade. He's been on both sides of the fence as a serial founder and a venture capitalist, has done everything from building a personalized TV movie guide, a stretchy denim company for men, sharing economy startup, and a multi-million dollar software marketing business. With no plans of slowing down, he has just launched a platform for the world's best audio courses with instructors who range from best-selling authors, YouTube stars, investment bankers, to Wharton professors. With the audio industry booming, it is easy to see why this insightful entrepreneur is on a mission to turn your spare listening time into productive learning time. Podcasting alone is forecast to reach over 160 million listeners by 2023 and will continue to grow an extra 20 million each year after. Streaming giant Spotify has even invested hundreds of millions of dollars on podcast-related acquisitions, while behemoths like Amazon are expanding their audio library into podcasts within the next few months. This explosion of growth is something that our guest knows well through his highly acclaimed podcast, Tech in Chicago, which has been a top 100 business podcast with over 100,000 downloads to date. He has been sharing the inspiring stories of Chicago's top founders and investors and the startups like Cali, Leaf Trade, and Canada. I'm honored to welcome the co-founder and CEO of Avocado Audio, host of the Tech in Chicago podcast, and a man who can break down startup problems while shooting threes on the basketball court, <laughs> all in Huey. Uh, thanks for having me. That was an excellent introduction. Absolutely. Well, you've had quite a few different startups in your time. Was Geneva Denim your first one, or how did you get into startups? How did I get into it? So a little bit of my background. I went my undergrad. I went to McAllister College. I studied econ and math. And I wanted to get into startups. I didn't have any technical chops of any sort. I was lucky enough that Seth Levine, a venture capitalist, came and gave a talk in my class from the Foundry Group. And I followed up with him after. I was like, hey, I'd love to get in startups. I don't have any you know, really marketable skills for one. <laughs> and he connected me with a serial entrepreneur that was starting his next company. And that was called Luma, which was a TV and movie recommendation company. And I just sent a, I guess it wasn't a cold email. I got an introduction, but kind of got my foot in the door, did an unpaid internship, and then became like the first hire. And we went from there. Okay. And then you uh, eventually decided to go on your own with Geneva? Yeah. So after that, we, we raised about $1.5 million. We launched some apps, didn't have enough traction. We shut the company down. That took about three years. And then I moved back to Chicago, where I'm from. And yeah, this was like scratching my own itch. I, mm. I don't know, like in college, I wore sweatpants. So I played basketball in college. And then I went to work and you weren't really supposed to wear sweatpants every day. So <laughs> I... I didn't love wearing jeans and I'm kind of an odd body type. I'm six, seven, so I have long legs. And so I just wanted to make something comfortable for myself. I ran a Kickstarter. It was actually pretty successful. 
And I could have built like a nice apparel business with it, but I just decided I didn't want to be in apparel for the next 10 years of my life. So at that point, around then, I applied to business school. Okay. And then eventually you had another go around with Bevy, which you shared a pretty solid like postmortem of. Can you share briefly what Bevy was and why it ultimately failed? Yeah. So I launched that at business school with a few of my business school friends. I went to the University of Chicago. And it was a, we rent everything out you want out for different experiences. So if you wanted to go camping one de- weekend, we'd give you a really nice tent, really nice sleeping pad, like things you wouldn't even think of like marshmallow sticks and lanterns. <laughs> and then the next weekend you have some friends over, you want to do like a karaoke night or something. Uh, we'd give you everything you need for that. So that was a similar thing where you could make a nice like party, small business out of it. But I I was never interested in that. I wanted something venture scale. And it was just, it proved that I kind of walked into a bad market. A lot of people raised $30 million, a few different competitors did. And they all took different variations on the business model and nothing ended up working. So it was uh, asset intensive. I wasn't loving it. I was like a basically a low paid Uber driver. <laughs> so we, we ended up sunsetting it. And I wrote that postmortem of like everything I kind of learned. It's at colinkeely.com if you want to check it out. But hopefully that helps other entrepreneurs. I get a lot of people that have a similar idea and I want to be like, don't do it unless yeah. you have a really clever you know, variation on it, which you know some people are nowadays, but I'm trying to dissuade people from walking into the market as well. Yeah. So you've also flipped kind of to the dark side sometimes and been on venture capital. Why have you gone back and forth between the two? You know, they're actually very different jobs. So venture capital is, I'd say, more intellectually stimulating. You're meeting with Mm -hmm. super smart entrepreneurs all day, learning about new markets and really evaluating people and evaluating markets more so than operators or, or founders. It's more like you figure out something that works and you just have to execute on it ruthlessly. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say repetition day in, day out, but you have to be laser focused on one thing and just do it. Um, why did I switch back and forth? I guess my process was through uh, Bevy in business school. There's the New Venture Challenge, a big competition at the University of Chicago that Grubhub went through as their most famous alumni. And I met a VC through that who hated the startup, basically hated the business idea, but liked me well enough. So we kind of stayed in touch and he was looking for help and I was sunsetting Bevy. That was like my foot in the door. But yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. Met a lot of great people and continue to work with them today. So I think another important note before we get to Avocado Audio is you've been in podcasting for four years. What originally drew you to podcasts and what you, why do you think it's a worthwhile frontier? Everyone has a podcast nowadays. I guess yeah. it's like kind of <laughs> early to it. So this was four years ago. The tools were not nearly as good. It was more, um, you had to be more tech savvy to definitely get one out there. But so the initial inspiration for Tech in Chicago, where I interview founders and investors, was I was a huge fan of podcasts, listening to them. It's all like San Francisco, New York startup stories. And I thought there should be one for Chicago, and there wasn't, which I thought was weird. So I knew there was some demand there. And then personally, it's just a networking machine. And, you know, back yeah. when we saw people in person, you show up with two microphones and everyone in the city would be happy to talk to you. So it was very effective for building my network and you know, becoming well-known in that industry. I recommend it to anyone else that like wants it as like a insertion to be the center point of an industry. Just start a podcast, and do like five episodes, and you'll get enormous inbound if you just pick the right niche. Yeah, and I think uh, your note about it being a great networking tool—that's the biggest thing that I've seen on it. It's being able to meet people that I necessarily maybe wouldn't have been in a room with had I not had a podcast. Absolutely, yeah. What has been some of the biggest lessons you've taken away from your guests uh, about their startup? Ah. You know, 
Startups are challenging. Like there's the highs and lows are far more extreme than a traditional job. So it really helps to have a larger mission. Like don't fall in love with your solution, just really fall in love with the problem. And that will generally keep you going through the highs and lows to like eventual like success. It takes a long time, longer than people think. Do you make any revenue right now through your podcast? So I've had a variety of sponsors. I've actually slowed down on it. I think, you know, your actual location just matters so little. Like we're just internet natives at this point. And I meet everyone online. I don't even know where they are. I didn't yeah. even ask you where you're located at the moment. So I, you know, I have slowed down on the podcast. Have I made revenue on it? Yeah, it's pretty easy to get sponsors, especially if you have an audience that is valuable. So I had a sponsor that was a PR firm that specialized in like Chicago startups. So it's easy. I'm sure he got a few clients and it was well worth it for him. So for other podcasters out there, try to break away from the like CPM model. You don't want to get charged on a thousand listens. You want to sell the value of your audience. And then I also had a venture capitalist that was started a new venture firm and just want to get his name out there that sponsored the podcast as well. Okay. So when did the idea for Avocado Audio come about? Because it's in a very adjacent niche, but uh, still in the same topic. Yeah. So it's kind of two different sides. I was initially looking at the opportunity. So I was looking at investing in audio companies. And in audio, what lags the furthest behind is monetization. So podcasting bizarrely kind of monetizes about a tenth as well as radio, which is insane because it's effectively internet radio, right? Targeting and tracking should all be significantly better. And then if you look at the video space... If you record a few hours of video and you call it a course where there's a clear return on investment, you could charge thousands of dollars. And there's no real equivalent for that in the US in audio. There is in China, it's called the pay for knowledge economy. But it seems like just a fluke of history that we've basically been required to stare at screens to learn. So I knew the future was heading there. I just knew that there was no chance that we're staring at screens for 10 hours a day in the future. And so just you know, set out to build it. And so we kind of entered the market and now we've pivoted the business model a little bit. So I know you mentioned like uh, Spotify and Amazon and Audible. Uh, Audible's owned by Amazon for the listeners that maybe don't know that. And they're trying to like vacuum up all the audio out there. So we are thinking it more as like arming the rebels. So we want to arm the creators with their own storefronts to sell their own audio courses, which we think are just about the easiest info products to produce and to consume. Mm, Yeah. Where did the name Avocado come from? How did that get fight the audio? Uh, so, you know, was, I love alliteration, so I'm a sucker for alliteration. It was more like a working name and it just became our actual name. So avocados are tasty and they're also healthy. Yeah. So uh, we had a similar idea that our audio was going to be you know, educational, but also like, entertaining. Yeah, got it. So this is your third startup. What is giving you the confidence or and maybe more than your third startup? Um, what is giving you the confidence that this one is going to be successful one so it's far more than my third you just know the projects that you know saw right. the light of day so we right. actually we also act, operate as a startup studio so we were once twice a year spinning up new companies so we tested out a lot of ideas and it's way easier now with all the no code tools out there i think i am significantly better at evaluating markets now and we tested the demand we know there's a lot of demand there um so i feel good about it you have a course on your platform about evaluating startup ideas. So what advice or criteria, maybe using Avocado Audio as an example, would you be give to founders? So it's actually a free trial, a free seven-day trial. So you can check it out and immediately cancel your trial if you want. So <laughs> I recommend listening to that like 30-minute course would be a good start. My advice to founders would be 
take a lot of care in, you know, pre- selecting your next project. Don't just wander blindly in, like spend a lot of time doing it because, you know, like 10 years of your life is a big commitment or even just wasting a few years on a project that's going nowhere is a, a big mistake. There's been obviously a lot of interest in the audio space. I talked about Spotify and the other giants kind of moving in. What insights about the audio space have, have you seen that maybe others aren't seeing? There's a big trend towards you know, bite-sized content or like audio munchables, I was calling it. So we always try to create our courses or recommend our creators create our courses to be to have super short lessons, like two to eight minutes. So people can consume them, you know, doing laundry, doing the dishes, and kind of bite-sized segments. You're seeing that in podcasting as well. A lot of innovative podcasters are coming out with shorter and shorter clips. That's maybe something that most people haven't seen yet, but is definitely where the future is heading. Yeah, I think especially in podcasts, it's like the one of two extremes. Like you either do something super short or you do like really long form content like Joe Rogan four hours. So that's kind of a difference between podcasts and audio courses is that centers are kind of flipped. So like with Joe Rogan, he gets paid in advertising, right? So the longer right. if he can do a three, four hour podcast, he makes a lot more money than if he does you know, two to eight minute podcasts. Right. Yeah. You guys are just starting your bootstrap. What are you doing right now to get your first customers? A lot of direct outbound. So you could look at other marketplaces, you could find other creators and you could scrape their emails or have someone in you know, the Philippines pay them $4 an hour and grab their emails yeah. and then just scale the outbound. So we're, we're not doing like Facebook ads or like uh, Google ads as much, or we're doing a little bit, nothing meaningful. And it's really on the creators. They're bringing their audience to us. And as a consumer, why would I pay for a learning service when I could listen to an audiobook or a podcast for free? So the biggest difference between audiobooks are just the written word and it was transformed to audio. So I, I think they're great. I don't think they're ever designed audio first. And then podcasts, you could listen to them all. And the big difference is that we're just structured. We take you from A to Z. We don't like, you don't have to look through 400 podcasts to learn what you're trying to learn. Yeah, even with Google too, I think basically like searching podcasts now and being able to like pull out certain things, I think it's easier just to go through like a structured uh, course than having to do that searching yourself. Yeah. I, and the reality is like all information is basically free nowadays. It's just all yeah. how you're packaging it for convenience and for structure and everything. Yeah. It seems like a lot of courses on the platform around like business development, which lends nicely to those that may be like working a nine to five or in the middle of a career shift or something. Or something that I personally did when I first listened to podcasts. How have you seen consumers using this so far? Yeah. So kind of the dirty secret in like online learning is that completion rates are abysmal. You're right. really just selling like a better version of yourself and people are like, oh, great. I bought this course. I want to learn something. And then completion rates are sub 5% on average. And so with audio, people just have way more ear time. And so our completion rates, you know, blow that out of the water. That's one big thing we've learned. And then we kind of settled on the business segment because we are targeting people who have Limited time, they have demonstrated, you know, willingness to pay for learning opportunities. And business people were like the the best segment initially to start. And you don't really need a screen. Most of the stuff's not visual, not learning like programming or something that would be a little more complicated. Yeah. Do you guys have any way to kind of track the success rates or like them executing? Because when you're listening, it seems like a very passive thing. You might be doing something else. So how much are they retaining and actually putting into action later? 
So we've led with content. I think content is a key because most people are consuming this as a secondary activity. So we're not going to throw <laughs> quizzes up on the screen. So we down at the screen. A lot of that stuff is like in the plans. We're going to build it out, but we haven't done that yet. Some creators do have like at the end of a lesson or the end of a course, they'll have some like deliverable that people will create or um, create, but it's completely optional. So that's kind of how you test skill sets. I'm pretty interested in the higher education space. I was wondering how you might see audio courses like supporting that education landscape. Yeah, a big thing uh, with COVID is everyone that was doing stuff in person. So both like undergraduate education, elementary school education, and then a lot, actually there's a huge corporate education market where people are giving in-person talks and they all have to sort out this whole like online thing. And so a lot of them are having to figure out how to do video courses and audio courses are just so much less work to create. So a lot of them are really pumped about it and you know the engagement rates are significantly better as well. Yeah, and I think as you said, like there's a lot of different subjects that would lend itself better to you know, an audio course than a talking head video course or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, super boring to stare at someone talking on the screen. What has been the best format for these courses? You had mentioned like the five to kind of 20 minute like munchables. How have you seen these working the best? Yeah, we like to keep them relatively short and very dense. So two to eight minutes to cover a lesson generally. And then a total course is probably you know, one to two hours on average. And we'd like the course to be so good that people end up listening to it through it multiple times. And that's kind of an opportunity you have in audio instead of video, once again, because people don't want to stare at the screen for you know, six hours on re repeat. But with audio, yeah. you could, you know, if you're going to your next meeting and it's on some topic, at least you could burn through it to refresh yourself quickly on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I did a, a podcasting course teaching others how to podcast and I did it in five to 20 minute little audios. And then I had like supplemental worksheets that went with it. And then mm -hmm. anything that was technical, like they had to edit audio or whatever, I would have a video for it and just let them know, like in the audio, go check out the video. Uh, and that seemed to work out pretty well. I think people were able to get it fairly well. And with like the worksheets, it kind of followed the audio and were able to execute on those actions. Very cool. Yeah. So audio first doesn't mean audio only. And that's something yeah. we learned pretty quickly is like you could link to you know, PDFs and, you know, God forbid, but videos are also in there as well as they come up. You have successfully grown a podcast. Are you using the same like marketing strategies that you did in the podcast for audio courses or what works best for each medium? So yes, to some extent, we like the everything you learn in cold emailing to get like guests on the show. It's exactly all the same stuff I'm using to get people to bring on their own courses. <clears throat> and so bring it on the creators and the creators are bringing their audience. So like our creators are our customer and they are paying us or we're doing a rev share with them. And then the end consumer is you know, the creator's job to bring those guys on. Yeah, right now you're building a marketplace, which is really a hard thing because it's like a chicken and the egg problem, which side you build up first. So how are you tackling that? Uh, yeah, that's partially why we're pivoting away from it. And by the time this is live, it will probably just be that like the rebels approach of enabling other people. Yeah, it was effectively a bundle in our conversion rate from free to paid was reasonably good. It was just becoming more and more apparent that the best creators wanted to stand alone. They wanted to create their own courses. If you're building like a you know, how to podcast course, you don't want to be next to 100 other ones doing something similar. You worked hard to build your knowledge, you worked hard to build your audience and you just want to share it with them. 
Yeah, I see a lot of creators come to these different marketplaces and they'll put up the same course just to kind of like get traffic, but then they'll they'll try and convert that back to like wherever their main hub. How many other courses do you have? So right now I don't only have that course up. Okay, and how's it doing for you? I was monetizing it for a while and then I went up and because I released it as a podcast because there wasn't necessarily like an audio marketplace yeah. to put up. And so I get a lot of people listening to that podcast and I went ahead and just put the worksheet and stuff up for free. I used to do coaching with it and that's what I charged for. And when I was doing that, it was working out pretty well. I just didn't have the time to keep up with it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, we'd love to get you on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll have to definitely check it out. What challenges or surprises have you had while launching a startup during the pandemic? It wasn't that big of a change for us. We weren't going to the office that much, maybe like half the week anyway. So I was actually like decking out my at-home office. So I got like a nice standing desk and I I didn't have, I had the microphone, I didn't have a nice camera. And then Brent, my co-founder, like mostly stopped going to the office. So I was only seeing him once every couple of weeks. So we still talk every day, but I just haven't seen him in person in like four months. So I don't know, not really a massive change for me. The bigger change is like the rest of the world. The time outside of work is, you know, basically the same. You're just at home every day. It's not that different. Yeah. Have you seen any challenges in like your marketing or getting customers or anything? Not really. Like uh, Facebook ads and all that stuff got cheaper for a little while. But I'm not sure anything is drastically different. You know, people are at home a lot more. And I guess the biggest change for us is just like the creator economy is really taking off. So a lot of people lost their jobs and they're looking to supplement or complement their income. So a ton of people are out there looking for that. And then all the people that are doing in-person stuff are like, well, I have to do something online now. So a lot more inbound interest, even from big companies. Like we'd like to bring this coaching to audio. How do we do that? How do we use your platform for that? Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely like pivoted the company a little bit to really take advantage and ride the wave. But we we feel good about the wave now. Yeah. So it seems like a a beneficial thing to you guys is as horrible as it could be. Yeah, I recommend to all like internet entrepreneurs, like this is a special time. People are at home, people are trying different things, like figure out how you can pivot your business to take advantage of the moment. Yeah. You wrote about uh, what startups should do during a recession based on like analyzing some of the past ones. What is your advice for startups right now, you know, going into what we may see as another recession? I wrote that while I was in venture capital. I wanted to see or study previous recessions and depressions and what happened in the early stage market. So what basically happens is there's a pretty big lag between the public market and the private market because all these venture capitalists have all this dry powder or like money to invest. But people don't know what that means. And so there's roughly like a six to 12 months delay after a downturn happens in the public market when it actually happens in the privates as well. But I don't know if that has any real bearing on what's going on right now because the stock market hasn't really crashed. I think it just hit record highs again. All tech companies are doing really, really well because we've kind of pushed to a progression, maybe jumped ahead a few years. So if you're doing a tech company, like valuations have not really fallen. I talk with VCs fairly often and it's uh, one of the hotter Augustes in the venture market in a while. Through all the ups and downs of your own journey through the startup world, what do you think has pushed you the most going through all the different iterations? Pushed me the most? I think it just is important to take care of yourself. Like the highs and lows are pretty extreme. So I'm very diligent about like getting eight hours of sleep and I'm very regimented about that every night. 
and exercising, eating well, like doing as much as you can to control the things you can. And then you're better, you know, prepared for the rigors of the day. So I don't know. You just, you do it enough and you kind of like roll the punches. You run into walls and it's like, oh, I've seen you before. I'll just walk around you. And then you see the next one and it just keeps going. So I don't know. You get used to it. Yeah. I seen you were quite a avid reader. Is there any books that kind of helped you formulate that mindset? I don't really read self-help books at all. I don't enjoy them. Like I just drop, I quickly stop reading them. I have my biggest recommendations for people that haven't really read that much. American Kingpin is like my go-to recommendation for folks. So that's the story of Ross Ulbright and the Silk Road, which is basically the Amazon of illegal drugs and other illegal things. Okay. So it's just, it's written kind of like fiction. And it is one of the best entrepreneurial stories ever, I think. He basically built like a billion dollar company all illegally, all online. So it's all the traditional you know, startup challenges just on a more entertaining scale. Yeah. But I think it's, it's very interesting when you look at the drug world or you know the illegal world. All of those people are entrepreneurs too. They just are doing it in a different way. Yeah. Uh, the stakes are a little bit higher. Um, yeah. And like how do you enforce contracts and stuff is a little more complicated. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So you went to a traditional college and you've talked about like the various alternatives that are out there. And you now have started something that's kind of adjacent in the education space. What do you think the future of higher education looks like? I think most of the not top ones go out of business because I don't think they're really delivering the value. If you could go to a top one and get that stamp and build a network and it's definitely still worth it. So I imagine in the near term here, a lot of those businesses are going to figure out that they are not actually that valuable. And a lot of them will go under. It's my prediction pretty quickly here. I actually think most college kids should really consider a gap year. Like the biggest value of going to a decent school is like the friends you make and the network you make. And you're not doing that on Zoom. So if you're a freshman, I would say don't do it. Like take the year off. And if you're not, evaluate whether everyone else is going back to campus or not. Otherwise, I would wait a year and do a bunch of startup internships or something. Do you do any type of continuing education, like whether it's audio courses or anything now? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I read all day long. I'd save everything to instant paper or pocket. Often I do text-to-speech, um, which is a little hack. Two finger down on an iOS device will read you the text. A lot of audiobooks, podcasts. Yeah, read a decent amount as well. Would you think if you were in the same spot, like talking to your younger self, would you go through traditional higher ed or do you think you would take one of these alternative paths? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think I play basketball in college. I do that again. I think athletics is like the biggest loophole to get into basically <laughs> any school you want. So like I have a cousin that's a really good swimmer now. And I was like, you should just go to Harvard for swimming. Like whether you want to actually swim there or not, you could dump, jump out right away, quit the team. At least you're you know still at Harvard. So yeah, I, I would still go. I'd try to go to the best school I could for sure. What people don't realize is the best schools are actually the cheapest schools because they have the biggest endowments. So if you need money, they'll, they'll pay for you. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, I'm a, a bit of a hater for schools, but I, I went to you know traditional schools as well. Yeah, I think there's a space for them. And I also think that there's a space for you know these alternative educations that are popping up. And we're always going to need educated, always upskilling. So I don't think it's, it's a scarce environment. Yeah, I think continuing education is just going to become more and more important as the world is changing more and more rapidly. So before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you, Avocado Audio and all that? 
Uh, yeah, Avocado Audio, just avocadoaudio.com. I'm really active on Twitter, so Colin Keeley on Twitter. And then my website as well is just colinkeeley.com. DMs are open, emails are open. Send me anything if you have any questions. Awesome. Well, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? A pandemic uh, is pretty damn effective. <laughs> so I don't know who came up with that one, but I definitely push this technology, um, technology-wise forward quite a bit. So, I mean, that is the only thing I can think of right now. <laughs> Otherwise, I think like audio courses, I think we're going to unlock like billions of hours of learning. So I think that will do quite a bit of good for the world as well. Absolutely. Well, Colin, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate everything that you shared. Yeah, good to chat. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening and joining the Evolution Revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend, because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving. Keep evolving.